0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox. Wall Street closes firmly in the red. The 10-year Treasury yield touching its lowest level in almost five months as COVID concerns continue to rattle the recovery. Investors search for safety in the Swiss franc and the yen. Gold is on track for its third straight week of gains.
1: Good morning, the European Central Bank setting a 2% inflation target as the uh, president, Christine Lagarde, lays out lender's first policy review in nearly 20 years. Key commitment we have is our commitment to 2%. And we respond to the effective lower bound constraint by deciding to take specially forceful or persistent action in the face of adverse shock. Airbus reports a 52% percent pickup in 2021 first-half deliveries, putting the world's largest maker on course to meet its targets for the year. And the Olympic flame
0: arrives to an empty stadium in Tokyo as the city declares a state of emergency and bans fans from attending the Games.
1: Watcher, morning. How morning, are you? Morning, morning. Good, yeah, good. Yeah, good thanks. Friday. Yep, yeah. Friday. He's got two weeks we, off coming up. We so measured the,
0: the two meters. Yeah. Are good.
1: we not allowed to fist bump? And I thought you're oh, we allowed know. to cuddle these days and things like that. Is that right? <laughs> are you not. Oh. Is that not allowed? Yeah. <laughs> Come know. on, big fella. No, 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 no. I don't no. think you better do that. Look, I tell you what. I'm going to let the, uh, the, the 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 team just roll through these a little bit because I didn't like your first headline. I know it's uh, right. Don't uh, get me wrong. Mohammed uh, and Scott, you know, the last yes. men standing, got yes. the headline right but but the problem yes. is it said yeah. firmly in the red on the equity markets and yes. that uh, as the uh, as the 10 year yield hit a 5 month low now the latter part says to me Oh, my goodness me, there is some crisis going on in the market, crisis of growth, crisis of confidence, crisis of uh, central bank and fiscal action actually working and getting us through this pandemic, crisis on the pandemic still. Uh, And all of the above, I think, uh, applies to that uh, 10-year yield hitting 120-something, although I notice it's back up to 130-odd now. But in terms of the markets, in terms of the equity markets, a lot of our viewers pour over and obsess over as well. Get over it, guys. I I really mean that. It's like we are not down aggressively as well. And and like the moves are tiny. We are only 1.9% away from an all-time ever, ever, ever record on the Dow, okay? We are nine-tenths of 1% away from an all-time... Ever in the history of mankind and womankind record on the S&P 500, yeah? We have rallied 97% off our lows on the latter. Uh, we have rallied 89% off our lows on the former as well. We had the Russell 2K in there somewhere as well. I know that this one was interesting. Russell 2K for the week is now 3.2%. Shock, horror. And yet, and yet, it is only 5% away from its record and has rallied 131% percent since the nadir, the trough, the low of last year as well. These are tiny moves to the downside, given what we're seeing in the Treasury. So I think the treasuries are going into not so much panic mode, but stunningly concerned mode. And the markets, in terms of equities, have barely moved, really. Let's be honest about it. Let's have a quick, quick look at the Asian indices as well and show you where they're tra- trading at the moment. Hang Seng, which had a, a bit of a tough day yesterday, uh, is up nine-tenths of a percent. We're down a percent on the Nikkei. And again, You've got an absolutely cataclysmic situation for this key, marquee sporting event in the Olympics. You're not going to have people in there. What's it going to be like for those athletes who have trained five years minimum for this, the, the peak of their careers, and you're going to have no one there? Awful, awful. But, I mean, there's a humanitarian, social, uh, human disaster going on in many of these countries at the moment. So no wonder with the state of emergency in Tokyo, um, people are concerned. But we're only down a percent. We're down one percent. ASX 200, which had a, a bit of a rally, was up 1.4%, uh, down 1.4% at the moment. Let's have a look at European markets. They did have a, a tough session yesterday again. Uh, that is yesterday's moves on these, okay. The CAC scene down was down 2%. FTSE clawed back 7,000, was down 120 points by the close. Uh,
0: Which is fascinating, isn't it? Because we've had a slew of managers coming through the set over recent days who've said, I don't don't want US equities anymore, I just want Europe. European equities is the place to go. And yet what we get, again, is evidence that there is no decoupling going on. In fact, if anything, given we were only down about three quarters of 1% on the major US markets the declines in Europe were significantly greater. Now, you could make the logical argument that this is obviously because these indices are stuffed full of cyclical, uh, economically sensitive stocks, and that's why they weakened on a day when people got frightened about ongoing impact from the pandemic. But you could also make the case here that if you looked at the ECB Uh, notes from that big review yesterday there really was a lot of evidence that nothing has changed in the thinking about how we get productivity and growth back into the continental European story and that is going to continue to be a drag on sentiment it seems to me but anyway if you're in the markets let me just say something I don't know whether you'll, you'll think it's controversial or not but lack of visibility is opportunity at the moment if you are looking to try and make some money out of mispricing let's just show you this treasury board because picking up on steve's comments the 10-year note uh, as you can see hovering around this 134 level but we did go lower than that but i was listening to jp morgan Uh, they had a, a terrific podcast out on rates and they're talking about us going back to 175 later in the year which would be quite a sizable move and would say something about the way that the market is thinking about the world and the recovery. But at the moment, you don't see any evidence of that kind of selling taking place in the Treasuries. Um, Just showing you the rest of the uh, boards here. The guilt, I think, is also interesting at the moment as we try and figure out just how um, loose they're going to keep monetary conditions uh, in the UK and of course the Bank of Japan is still fighting the long-term war against deflation in spite of what everybody keeps saying about the possibility of more sticky inflation trends. Safe havens then, was there a port in a storm as we got some of the uh, sell down? Well we are just a little easier on the gold price here, spot gold, but we are again back at these $1,800 an ounce levels. The dollar back in the driving seat on the yen. But the bid was in there yesterday, also on the Swiss franc, in spite of the fact that, quite frankly, if you park your money in a Swiss bank at the moment, you're probably going to have to pay for the privilege of doing that. The US futures... What do they tell us about where we're going? Uh, The U.S. futures indicate then that it is still going to be a bit of a lackluster start to the trading session. Uh, The ECB then has outlined a new inflation target. Let's talk a little bit about this. Following a sweeping 18-month review of its inner workings, the central bank has set a goal for medium-term eurozone price growth of 2%. Instead of below or close huh? to two percent, it's still two percent though. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Which is why a lot of people yesterday were hoeing, hoeing and humming and humming and hoeing about why they'd spent time watching the press conference <laughs> when they weren't certain if anything you had TV actually changed. To your JP
1: Morgan podcast.
0: Well, speaking at a, a news conference, ECB President Christine Lagarde said that level may be temporarily exceeded in some situations. We know that. is not
1: going to be constantly on target. There might be some moderate temporary deviation in either direction of that 2%, and that is okay. What we are very concerned about is any uh, sustainable, durable, significant deviation from the target, and that will require forceful reaction in both directions. Tom Wells is manager of Global Inflation-Linked Bond Fund at Sandlin Investments. Tom, I know you've been pe- waiting patiently, so thank you very much indeed for that as well. So, Tom, come and give us the big reveal. Tell us why Jeffrey's cynicism about what he heard from the ECB yesterday is absolutely misplaced. And it was fascinating to listen to. Good morning, sir.
2: Good, good morning to you. And, um, yeah, the long-awaited strategic review has finally concluded. And as Madame Lagarde mentioned in the press conference, it does serve to clarify and simplify things a little bit. And Firstly, interest rates will remain the primary tool used for monetary policy. But importantly, and as you've touched on there, 2% is no longer the ceiling on inflation here. The ECB have moved away from an asymmetric policy framework to a symmetric one. And they've allowed enough room for inflation to overshoot the target by including the new time reference over the medium term to their inflation target goal. So if the ECB is no longer driven by undershooting the inflation target, the right hand tail is now in play. This gives the doves amongst the governing council a bit more ammunition, giving a bit more weight to the argument that keeping stimulus going is probably the right course of action. However, there's always compromises in the ECB and the Hawks might point to the statement that symmetry means the governing council considers negative and positive deviations from this target as equally undesirable. But if we take it on balance, I think this is a dovish message or a dovish move from the ECB And in order to meet this target, policy must remain accommodative, which pushes out even further the prospect of rate hikes in the eurozone.
1: Um, Do we need to tie this to what's happening fiscally as well? The the two seem to be in parallel universes where people don't look at the, the joined up Thinking here, and look, we've got a vast amount of money, albeit not on a US $6 trillion scale, a vast amount of money being injected into the European economy on a fiscal front. I used to think, again, you know, when I get my Lipsy out and all my old original economics books from my A-levels, that there was a connection between uh, fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus. they now seem completely on different universes.
2: I think you're right. and um, I think ultimately, we do need to take a lesson from the states in the Eurozone here. We need to coordinate the monetary stimulus with government support. If you really want the economy to hum along, there needs to be some coordination between the two sides. We've still got very high levels of unemployment in Spain and Italy, and that isn't going to be addressed by yesterday's changes. That's not a monetary policy phenomenon. There needs to be addressed by governments really going forward.
0: Um- Governments have a chequered history of jiggering around with the inflation data if they don't like the number they get at the end. Are we seeing this take place again when it comes to the inflation figures with the inclusion of housing elements? Uh, It seems to me if you don't like the number, you just change the way it's calculated.
2: It's an interesting point, isn't it, you make? I think we've, we've also seen this in the UK with RPI reform recently. There is a, an element of picking and choosing your index, isn't there? Um, but the, the, the ECB um, flagged this because currently there is no housing component within the CPI. Um, there is merely a housing rental component, which has a weight of around 7.5% in the Eurozone CPI basket. But it seems like the ECB see this as an omission or a, a sort of a shortcoming in their inflation measure. Um, including housing, as in owner occupied housing, would make it more meaningful to the underlying users, probably more meaningful to the public. So this change brings the Eurozone measure a little bit more in line with US CPI and the UK's CPI H. But they, do, they did acknowledge, actually, that um, it would take several years for the inclusion of this owner-occupied housing to be formally included in the index. So in the meantime, the ECB will supplement that. Um uh, well, The governing council, at least, will, will, will supplement um, a housing measure in order to reflect in policy. Um, that is very much an unknown, how they're going to dip into that, how they're going to use that. But um, by the ECB's own research, it indicates an increase of around 20 basis points a year. And uh, you mentioned JPM earlier on. um, JPM, I think, of citing about 30 basis points a year increase in the overall year-on-year levels of inflation once owner-occupied housing will be included.
0: So how does this boil down into the way you're thinking now about uh, what you want to own at this stage, Tom? Any adjustments in your thinking as to what you put in the fund?
2: I think that what this does do is open up that right-hand tail. You know, we've we've opened the door to allow inflation to creep higher. And that, to my mind, makes me think of break-even trades in the eurozone, uh, quite like um, where the the nominals sit. You know, you've got the short end of the curve very much pinned by the ECB. You've got not a great supply-demand dynamic in that there's not a net expansion of bonds in the eurozone over the course of the year. So I quite like duration in the eurozone. And if you couple that with the inflation-linked fund or the inflation-linked bonds out there, you're obtaining access to the breakeven. So you're obtaining access to um, increasing inflation expectations. And bear in mind, um, just a quick bit of data, the um, the eurozone CPI has averaged 1.2% over the last decade or so. And the five-year bond trades with a breakeven of 1.13. So there is room for inflation expectations to increase here a little bit. And there, the neat way to play that, to my mind, is via the index linked market in Germany and um, even dipping into Italy. And bear in mind, when you're a sterling investor, the hedge or, or the swap in the currency adds about 70 basis points to your total return. So it's quite a neat solution for GBP thinkers.
0: And Tom, just before we let you go, can I just uh, get a view from you on the 10-year Treasury and on, on what's going on here? Uh, overnight in the Asian session, we've had another five basis point move. We're back in the sort of 130 levels on the yield. Um, is it because the Fed has been actively in the market mopping up supply or, or is there another reason why we've had this significant drop in the yield? I
2: think the market is... Scrambling for a a narrative on the 10 year yield in the US. The FOMC minutes, there was something for everyone in the FOMC minutes. There was a case for inflation going higher. There was a case where uh, some participants don't know where it's going, and a case where we're already at the average. There was something for everyone in the minutes. What's, I think, confused people is the dots got moved in the shorter term. The longer term dot never changed, but the shorter term dots next year and the year after. Um median-wise increased slightly. And I think that spooked people and, and made it a bit more confusing picture. Um, the, to, to my mind, the rates peaked out in March, and that's the highest we'll see for the rest of the year. The break even seem to have peaked out in May. So this is um, a story of where inflation expectations go uh, and keep an eye on real yields because that's the way we can stimulate the economy. Tom, great to have
0: you on the programme. Thanks so much for walking us through the bond market. Tom Wells, manager of Global Inflation-linked Bond Fund at Sanlam Investments. Uh, OK, let's move on. G20 finance ministers and central bankers are meeting in Venice over the next couple of days, expected to give their backing to plans for a global minimum corporate tax rate. And has more from the City of Bridges.
3: It's the first physical meeting of the G20 finance and central bankers in over a year here in Venice. The likes of Janet Yellen, um, Jerome Powell, and also ECB president Christine Lagarde are coming into town to discuss an abundance of topics. Today, high on the agenda, of course, a day after the ECB unveiled their new strategy, is the topic as well of monetary policy, what it will mean for the ECB going forward after having now also a symmetric inflation target. On the official G20 agenda, though, The talk is about multinational tax. This will preoccupy the crowd in the morning. Of course, we don't know yet what the minimum tax rate is going to be. There's a lot of talk to have it at least at 15 percent, but potentially also higher, how Janet Yellen uh, was adding to the discussion earlier on this week. Later on, we're talking again about productivity. The OECD Productivity Forum will resume with ECB President uh, Lagarde and the BOE Governor Bailey sitting on one stage talking about those issues, about the economic aspects of the pandemic recovery. Then over the weekend, we talk about debt relief for African countries, which are most vulnerable to the effects of climate change. And the Sunday will be dedicated to climate and climate change policies. This is Annette Weisbach here in Venice for CNBC International.
1: Is she actually live? Was she live? I was going to ask her a question. What do you think? I don't know now. You were going to ask her a question? Yeah. No, Is that were? not live? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> really? you know your intro... Yeah. And that's a question. No, um, genuinely I was. Well, you could uh, try if you like. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, <laughs> See how that goes. You know your intro said City of Bridges? Yes. And my mind just can't handle... Bridges about of God. Madison County, no? Is she still there? Though? She's still yeah, there. She, she's back. We could dub her answer. Yeah. Um, Venice isn't the biggest city of bridges in, uh, in Europe. Right, go on. You know that? Well, I was going to say because to him. St. I was... Petersburg? No. What? Way more. Ham- Hamburg. 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 Oh. Hamburg. Okay. Even Rod didn't know that and he right. knows everything. Yeah. So the number of bridges in Venice is about 400, yeah? Yeah get a load of this. There are 1172 road bridges and 987 railroad bridges and 470 foot bridges in Hamburg. Wow. So So you've got three uh, three waterways and it's a massive port as you well know as well. You've got the Alster, you've got the Elba and the Billa. Ah. So So actually the real city of bridges is Hamburg.
0: National Geographic are on the phone. They're looking for a new presenter. Done. Someone who can do cities. Yeah, I can do cities. There you go. Uh, Who's the letter going to be speaking to? That's what I really want to know. And will that be live? Uh, I think she's going to be speaking to the Spanish Vice President, uh, Nadia Calvino. That'll be 12 Central European time. Uh, We'll also hear exclusively, of course, from the Bank of International Settlements Chief, Augustin Carstens, and at 1515 CET, uh, first on CNBC, we speak to the formidable character, the German finance minister, Olaf Schultz. So she's going to have a busy old day.
1: Yeah, yeah, I genuinely thought she was there. (laughs) Uh, That's probably why it wasn't live, because she's
0: preparing for all those major interviews. Absolutely. China's factory prices post a slower uptick in June, but inflationary pressures persist in the world's second largest economy. An update on that when we come back.
1: And for more on bridges, I tell you, the best uh, podcast in town is the Squatbox podcast. Apparently, we're also talking about the downturn in global stocks, but you can take your pick on which part of the podcast you find better entertaining. I personally find the bridges better. Welcome back. France's European affairs minister has warned travellers to avoid Spain and Portugal for their summer holidays amid an increase in cases of the Delta variant. New hotspots have emerged in Catalonia and Valencia, both of which have tightened restrictions. Germany is also looking at reclassifying Spain and Cyprus as risk areas. Potentially reintroducing a quarantine period for those who have not been vaccinated. Elsewhere, Airbus deliveries rose by 52% in the first half of the year as the world's largest plane maker saw a surge in handovers. Now that's interesting. I wonder when these planes are ordered, it's my question. The company delivered 297 planes in the first six months of the year compared with 196 this time last year and 389 in 2019. Analysts expect Airbus to continue its recovery and deliver close to 600 aircraft by the end of the year.
0: China's factory gate prices rose at a slightly slower pace in June but remained high as inflationary pressures continue in the world's second largest economy. Let's get out to Sam, who's got more on the latest data. Morning, Sam.
4: Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, what this data tells us is that the problems persist for these producers. I think it is important to point out, though, that these producer prices uh, did ease for the first time since September, perhaps offering some relief at the factory gate, uh, perhaps. And not so much for the markets today over on the mainland, though. They are in negative territory. But certainly that 8.8% year on year was down from May's 9%, which was a 13-year high. Month on month, uh, it was a higher by 0.3%, but that was compared to May's 1.6%. And that does come as Beijing has been making a lot of moves to try to rein in what they call these unreasonable price hikes to try to prevent any pass-through to the Chinese consumer, including uh, releasing some base metals from its state reserves. So perhaps some of these moves are starting to bear fruit. But we do know uh, that these inflationary pressures do persist. These numbers are still elevated as these high commodity prices do uh, continue to put pressure on these producers in terms of that upstream price pressure. That CPI uh, also eased in the month of June. This has really been largely a story of falling food prices in China, most notably pork. Actually, pork fell around 36.5% in the month of June, which significantly influences this CPI headline. Actually, one economist has described the shifting uh, to a fuel pool and pork drag. So the pork prices really are offsetting the higher energy costs, which actually lifted the non-food CPI to 1%. 1.7%. But Beijing is said to be aware of this and does have the measures and the tools in place to deal with this when it comes to some of those uh, pork reserves. But uh, once again, uh, as we see, uh, we are not uh, seeing too much pass through to the Chinese consumer at this stage. This does seem to be fairly limited as those downstream manufacturers are still picking up the costs.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk
1: Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.